Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. In this episode, Jackie will tell Melissa about a case where remains were found buried in a backyard. Please be aware that this episode will discuss a violent attack and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy podcast. It's Melissa and Jackie, the twins, and we're here to tell you another case where someone was buried in a backyard. Ooh. I feel like this is, I mean, all true crime cases are spooky, obviously, but this one's like a really creepy theme. Is it? I don't know. I feel like buried in the backyard's a creepy theme. That's what I meant. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought you meant, like, your case in particular. But, no, it is really creepy because it's, like, just thinking about going outside for your normal routine and in your backyard where you should feel safe and seeing someone deceased. Very creepy. It's also just creepy thinking of you never know what's below you. Oh, my God. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I was like, I'm going to, like, buy a metal detector on Amazon after this and tool around my backyard. I always wonder if you would just find treasure, you know, or something. Best case scenario, you find treasure. Let us know if you guys have ever found anything searching in your backyard. Yeah, that would be crazy. Okay, let's get into the story. I'm going to be talking about the... I guess it was basically known as the disappearance of David Jackson. And this happened in Florida in the 1980s. And we're going to start in August of 1989 in Marymar, Florida. Construction workers were doing some work on an old farmhouse. And they were in the backyard cleaning out debris from the backyard. It was pretty abandoned and just unkept. There were weeds and sticks all over the place, and it just needed a lot of tidying up. A man named Frank Toledo, he was one of the construction workers working, and he was there with his cousin. People decided to take a break, and Frank and his cousin, you know, were just hanging out, and there were some wild watermelons growing, so it must have been pretty overgrown. (laughs) And they were just, like, picking them up and tossing them back and forth, you know, goofing around. Having fun as men do. (laughs) That's so cute. I know, that is kind of funny. And they're just, like, yeah, throwing watermelons back and forth. But then it gets real dark real quick because Frank realizes that there's something attached to the watermelon that he just threw. Stop. And it was a human bone. (gasps) That seriously, it's the watermelon. I actually can't believe how dark this just got. Yeah. So he saw what looked to be a bone. I believe fingers, actually. That's like something out of one of the one of the it movies. Yeah, they're just tossing around a watermelon and mm-hmm. a bone is attached to one. I'm still processing that. Yeah. 
So Frank calls his boss over to be like, look at this. And his boss did at first say that it used to be a chicken farm, so maybe it was just animal bones. But Frank said that he just had a really bad feeling. He just felt like something was really wrong with this. And he decided to call the police himself. And I know. And the police came immediately and decided to search the area immediately. And they pretty quickly found that there were bones basically all over the backyard. And they confirmed pretty quickly that the bones were also human because it was a femur and ribs. And they had basically all the bones for a whole body except a skull. I don't know if they found the skull or not, but many, many, many bones of a human were found there. Well, damn. Yeah. Very shocking discovery to just find this at an old farmhouse in the backyard. It honestly feels like the start of a horror movie. Right. At this time, though, in Florida, I mean, it's the late 80s, like, drug smuggling is going on, and in Florida, as I'm sure a lot of people know, especially, like, in the Everglades areas, but... This wasn't like that. It's the middle of a backyard, so it seemed like someone would have to know the house or know the area. It's not random. And no one was living in in the house at the time? No. Hmm. And the area was being developed, and a lot of, like, family-friendly homes and stuff like that were being put in. So it was really concerning how this could happen, and people were pretty shook. This wasn't in a bad area or anything like that. Since it was the 80s, there wasn't DNA, so the best that detectives and police could do was, like, forensic anthropology and look at the bones and see what they could find from there. They could tell that the bones they collected were from a male, and they could tell that it was someone over six foot tall. There were staining on the bones, which confirmed that they had been out exposed to the elements for a while. So, obviously, the bones had been there for a long time, probably many years. And Frank, who found these bones, was... he was very nice. And this weighed really heavy on him, just wondering, like, who this was. Mm -hmm. Did they have a family? Who is this person? I really could not imagine that. That would mess you up finding that on the job. Yeah, and I could see how then you would kind of feel connected to it. I definitely would, knowing that oh, same. it's an unknown person. And the fact that it was connected to the watermelon, like, that's pretty crazy. It's like it, the bone, like, attached. It was meant like, to be. Fine-weed. It wanted to be found. Oh, my God. It did. So police looked into missing persons in Miramar and they could not find anything that matched the bones that they found. So all they could really do was just hang on to them. But that was all they found was the bones. There wasn't like anything else attached to them, you know. It had been so long, clearly, since this person had died. They were working on basically nothing. And so 15 years went by without any identification of who these bones remained to. Wow. Very, very sad. Donna Velasquez, 
She's a detective in a neighboring town called Pembroke Pines, and she works for the police department. And she was assigned to a bunch of cold cases in 2003, I believe. So her supervisor basically told her to go through these cold cases and missing persons files and things like that and just see what you find and basically go back over them as I believe police departments do every so now and then. She noticed one missing persons flyer that just really stuck out to her. It was a man named David Churchill Jackson and he had been missing since 1988. He had last been seen on June 25th, 1988. He was 6'2", 168 pounds, and 27 years old. He was last seen wearing a cut-off t-shirt, shorts, and sneakers. His missing person flyer literally said, great personality, in quotes. Stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really sad. I know. And it also said on the flyer that he had worked that day and purchased furniture and done stuff the day of his disappearance. He had a palm tree on the beach as a tattoo. Like, you know, a palm tree on the beach in a little circle mm-hmm. <laughs> on his upper right arm. I know exactly the type. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Donna just felt called to his case, like, called to look over it and see what she could find, you know. She felt called to it. And she took his picture, his missing flyer, and put it on a little board that she had above her desk so that she would see it every day. Shortly after she started doing that and she started, like, going back over the case and after she put his picture up, Something pretty crazy happened. Ooh. A little manifestation. What, what, what? There was a group of, like, teen boys called the Explorers who, they would come to the police department and shadow officers, kind of like an internship, and they would have meetings there on Tuesday night, and it was, like, in the police department. And one of the teen boys was walking just around to his meeting, and he saw that on Donna's, like, little vision board, basically. He says, I know who that person is. That's my father. What? His name was John Wolf, and he said that he was five years old when his father had disappeared. And so this basically was, like, the detective felt called to basically, like, reopen his case. And so they they kind of did right then and there. And she started talking to John, his son, obvious, or, yeah, David Jackson's son. Judy, who is David Jackson's mother, was very emotional about them reopening her son's case, obviously. She was very happy, but also just... Very worn down because it had been 15 years of wondering, you know, where her son had gone. Right. The detective, Donna, I'm just going to call her Donna, realizes that she really has to go back in time and figure out what was going on in David's life 15 years ago and see how he went missing and what happened to him. So she starts by talking to Judy 
David's mom, and David's son. And in the summer of 1988, on the night that David disappeared, he was supposed to go to his mother Judy's house and get some mail and borrow her truck and just do some errands. And Judy wasn't there at the time, but when she got home later, the mail was still there and so was her truck. So she realized that David had never come by and she thought that was weird. She called David's roommate and he hadn't seen David since the night before. And he said that David had gotten a call in the evening. He took a shower and then he left. And I believe he said he was going to get cigarettes, but he never came back. And the roommate, since it had only been like one day, didn't think it was anything alarming because he thought that David probably just had a date and just like went out. So he wasn't really that worried, but Judy was really troubled by it and she just didn't think that that was like her son. Mm -hmm. And the next day she went to the police department and made the missing persons report and they did make the ad and all that stuff. What, there was no way, like, did they think the call that he took had anything to do with it? So, the police did go out and investigate the next day, and they went to his apartment and looked around and talked to David's roommate, and they asked him about that. But they did find a noose hanging in David's bedroom, oh. which troubled police, and sadly, it is kind of a common theme in true crime cases that if police suspect a suicide, they take of a, a bit of a step back, I'd say. Well, I mean, that is very strange. Okay, listen. So, the police thought that David, at the time... He was going, he, he had just been divorced, and he was having issues with his ex, who had abruptly taken their child and moved out of state, which we'll talk about all that later. So they kind of did think, okay, maybe he committed suicide and just ran off or something. But Judy really didn't make much of the rope because she said her son David was a huge country boy. He did stuff with horses all the time, like him having ropes and stuff around wasn't that intention. I mean, even if it was like a noose that could be, I'm sure, creepy to some, but if you're a country boy and I guess you have ropes around, it might be a little different. I don't know. But his mother, Judy, wasn't worried about that and she definitely didn't think it was suicide because she knew that David was super, super excited that in July, his son was going to be staying with him for the whole month. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the type of plan you would make if you're going to commit suicide. And David had actually taken the entire month of July off just so he could hang out with his son. Like, he was hype. He told all of his friends about how excited he was. So it's just like... Nobody really thought that. And I don't know if police, like, really, really thought that or they just didn't have leads, but I guess there wasn't a whole lot to investigate. I still wonder if it has something to do with the phone call, if he was going to meet someone and something happened. I know. How could that not seem super concerning and, like, figuring out who called? Yeah. After that day, David was basically not seen or heard from again. He didn't show back up to work, and there was no activity, like, with his money being spent or any of his things being seen or sightings of him. There wasn't things like that, and th there really were not any leads. 
except three months into the investigation, an officer at the Fort Lauderdale apartment realized that there was a car that had been been sitting there for a long time. And so he decided to run the plates and figure out whose car it was and saw that it was David Jackson's car. The car had been totally wiped down of prints and anything on it. So police like knew pretty quickly that it was someone trying to remove their prints and mislead police and make police think that David went there on his own and caught a flight somewhere. Yeah, that's suspicious as hell. And now I feel like he was murdered. And Donna, when she's re-looking over the case and all that stuff, thinks that somebody would only do that if they knew the victim and were trying to really distance themselves from the scene and, like, yeah, set this up like David left. When David did go missing, police tried to keep looking into it, but they had really no leads, and Judy left flyers basically everywhere she went. She was extremely distraught about her son's disappearance with no answers. But Donna and Judy just felt like it was the time, like something about now was bringing them together on purpose and they were going to solve this case. So they pursued. There was a new database around this time and DNA was becoming a little bit more popular. And this new database showed where remains were found, unidentified remains. And you can type in, like, criteria, and it would show you remains that fit that criteria. That's cool. I know. So Donna goes on there and types in David's, you know, height and weight and that sort of stuff. And she sees that there were remains found in Miramar a few years earlier in uh, an old farmhouse that really matched up to David. And so she asked Judy for her DNA. And she didn't want to get Judy's hopes up, so she just asked, you know, just in case we need it. But a few weeks later, doctors did confirm that the remains belonged to David. Whoa. Okay, well, that's good. At least one step forward. Exactly. Now, who the hell's farm is this? And now Donna really does feel like it was more personal. She's investigating this, and she's like, I need to go deeper into David's life, like, Who did he know at this point? What was his personal life like? Yeah, because there's no way it was random because they didn't keep using his money after and they wiped his car clean. And put it at the airport. Maybe the mother of his child. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) It's always, you always go back to, like, who were they with? I know. So, let's go back to David as... A young person. (laughs) He was a hard worker from a young age and just enjoyed working. When he was in high school, he managed a Burger King. You know, as I already said, he was a country boy and liked to ride his horses and stuff like that. And he met a woman named Barbara Britton at the Burger King. I believe that she also worked there. They met. They started dating as normal. He was 17. I believe she also might have been 17. But anyway, they got together and they were dating. And Judy said that she really liked Barbara at first. She was really nice and everything. And they seemed like a good couple. But then... Well, (laughs) Barbara did get pregnant pretty young. I mean, 
they were, yeah, they were teens, and Barbara got pregnant, so they wanted to get married and do it traditionally and stuff like that. Barbara's parents were, I'd say, strict and conservative and conventional. Her dad was a military man and, like, the head of the household type, while her mom was more subdued and reserved. And they obviously were not very happy at first that Barbara was pregnant, but eventually Barbara's dad, Harry, did give in and permit them to wed, and the two got married. Judy remembers that the wedding was beautiful, and they did seem really happy, and everything was great. But the pressure of them being young teenage parents did become stressful, Barbara said later on in interviews that David was immature and wanted to go out with his friends and leave her alone to take care of their newborn son. Pretty typical, like, young parent things. Yeah. On the other hand, David Jackson's brother, Mark, remembered that differently, and he believed that Barbara kind of didn't give David a chance, and he actually said to CBS, I think, in an interview, that after Barbara and David got married, she didn't move into the house that he bought. What? And she stayed with her parents instead. So he kind of said, like, it wasn't, like, they really weren't married for long before things were rocky. What was the reason... Why did she, she stay didn't, in her parents' house? She didn't give one. Like, well, at least not that Mark knew. I mean, I'm sure she told David, but I don't know if David was going to tell his brother. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Why get married if you're not ready? But Barbara also said to CBS, like, she did not play it like that. So they have very contradicting stories oh. of that. Well, yikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the time their son... John, or they called him Johnny, was born. Yeah, their relationship was strained. A few months after their child was born, Barbara told David that she wanted to get a divorce. And that really upset David. Uh, he, He did love Barbara. By all accounts, everyone said that he always loved Barbara. And they had only been married for two years before they ended up signing divorce papers. Hmm. Barbara, however, moved on quickly and got with a man 20 years older than her. And all of a sudden, she told David that she got remarried and is moving to Arizona that night with their son. Oh, oh. is she allowed to do that? Well, David did fight in court because I believe it was... For a while, they did just share custody, and I think things were okay. They worked it out. But when that happened, David was like, no. They fought in court. They did go back and forth. And in the summer of 88, the court allowed John, their son, to stay with David for the month of July. So now that Detective Donna's learning all this, in hindsight, it's like, hmm... This all seems very suspicious that he went missing at the end of June and he was supposed to have his child for the whole month of July. Hmm. The ex did it. Interesting. 
So Donna clearly wants to look into Barbara's new husband, the man who is 20 years older than her, who she remarried quite quickly. His name was Michael Wolf. And when Donna looked into it, she saw that Michael ended up adopting John five months after David disappeared. And Donna thinks that's very odd because she was like, David only disappeared. You didn't know he was dead. It's only been five months. He could easily return. Wait, that is so weird. Yeah. That is incredibly suspicious. I don't understand. I don't know how police didn't know all this when this was happening. I was just going to say that. Like, I'm not trying to... I don't Maybe know because if, it happened in Arizona. Maybe it could be, like, the court just didn't have access to that. But it's like, why how do you weren't not, you watching her? How do you not have access to that? How could you not just find out that, you know, she... Even if you have to send someone to Arizona, how could you still not find that out? Yeah. I don't know about all that. And John... Also, yeah, told Donna and the police that, that his, Michael, his stepdad, adopted him, like, pretty quickly. John ended up going home and telling his mom that they reopened his dad's case, and he was excited, but he told Donna and police that his mom was not very excited, and she said that they needed to leave the case alone because it was closed years ago, and they basically, like, should just forget it. And John thought that was weird, and he told police he thought that was weird. And he thought his mom knew more than what she was saying. And so police wanted him to wear a wire, and he agreed. But then afterwards, he just didn't really think it would work, and he didn't want to go through with it. So police just decided to talk to Barbara again after all these years and see what she had to say. And this time, they're going to tell her that, yeah, the remains were found, so. And when they tell her that, she says, where at and how many bones did you find? And so detectives (sighs) are just like, okay, you're on our suspect list, clearly. Yeah, what kind of suspicious answer is that? However, you're not going to be like, oh, no, at least anything like that. However, Barbara told in her interview for 48 hours something different. She says that she remembers it like she told police, well, good, that's a good thing that you're going to work on it, and that she was happy that they were open the case again. But that's not how police remember it. Um, they don't have a recording of this? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Detective Donna decided that she was going to also talk to Michael Wolf, And she herself didn't, but they did actually tape that when they interview Michael Wolf. He had actually been married seven times and now lived in Ohio. I don't know at at this point if he was married or not. But it wasn't to Barbara if he was. (laughs) Him and Barbara were no longer married. But he insisted that he had nothing to do with it. But police just sensed that he wasn't telling the truth, and eventually Michael just said that Barbara's dad, Harry, approached him with the idea of killing David to get rid of him to allow Barbara to move on with their son. What? And that Harry asked Michael if he knew of any hitman because he wanted to take David out. Oh, wow. Barbara's dad. Mm Mm-hmm. So now Michael Wolf is totally blaming this on Harry, basically. 
And oh. he just said that if Harry did it, it was on his own accord and he had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. And the police are like, that's a very convenient story because Harry's been dead since 1996. So wouldn't that be convenient of you, Michael, to say that Harry, Barbara's mom, did it all? Barbara's mom. Barbara's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara's dad did it all. Yeah. Donna just senses that Michael is lying because Michael is a former police officer. So, you know, he would kind of know what to say or just know know what to do in this scenario. So she tells them to basically, like, keep looking into Michael and see what he did in the years following his marriage to Barbara. Mm Mm-hmm. They look in and check his weapons because he did own a number of weapons. And Donna sees that he sold a gun to a woman named Nancy. And when she looks into Nancy, she sees that they shared the same address at some point. So she thinks that Nancy is an ex of Michael's. And so she calls her up and is just basically going to ask about Michael. And Nancy says that, yeah, I was married to Michael after he divorced Barbara. She was the wife right after. And she said that she had actually wanted to talk to police for a very long time. Why didn't you call them? I know. She said that when she was married to Michael and he would drink often and talk about David Jackson. And he eventually said that he killed David Jackson. Oh. Police say, what the hell? Why didn't you tell police, Nancy? And she said that she just wanted Michael to admit it one day himself. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like, well, that's a little selfish to the family. I mean, yeah, I want people to admit their wrongdoings all the time. But, like, that's murder. Not trying to be like that, but isn't it a law that if we know of a crime, we have to report it or something like that? Or no? I don't think it's, like, if someone tells you, but I think if, like, you see it, you have an obligation. But she definitely should have. Yeah, I guess that's not if someone tells you. But, yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, maybe not wanting to get wrapped up in things, but... I couldn't live knowing someone's child didn't know what happened to their dad. Or knowing that someone didn't know what happened to their own child. You could at least call in an anonymous tip. True, true. I don't know. We're, like, shitting on this woman, but... I know. I don't mean to. It's just tough, you know? When you see how much Judy, David's mom, has gone through in knowing that someone knew for... It's just, you know. But whatever. That's that. In October 2004, uh, police believe that they have enough evidence to arrest Michael Wolf. Donna Velasquez does it herself. And she says to Michael Wolf, I had the distinct pleasure of investigating this case for 16 months, a case you've been running from, and it's damn good to meet you. She's a boss. Aww. So, he is arrested, and they prepare for trial, you know, all that stuff. It moves pretty quickly. Judy says she's feeling a lot of hurt when she sees Michael in the courtroom, and it's really, really hard. But it only takes 45 minutes of deliberation for the jury to find Michael guilty, and they sentence him to life in prison. Oh, wow. 45 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty quick. Yep. I mean, 
But when you think about it, they don't have that much evidence other than his own words. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, circumstantial. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, that's true. However, later on, a couple years later, Michael says that he wants to talk and just come clean about everything because he realizes that if he's convicted for this, he wants people to know the truth. Okay. And he said that the truth was that the whole time Barbara and her dad were basically the mastermind and that his relationship with Barbara was a lot different than what people thought. He said that from the time he met Barbara and her family, they totally painted this picture that David was a horrible, abusive person who was abusive to Barbara and was an abusive father. And they kept pressing the issue that he shouldn't have custody because he's abusive and that they just had to get rid of him because there was, like, no other way. They actually believe that Barbara made this plan with her dad, this whole plan to kill David. And Harry, Barbara's dad, was a big part in this. He really, really helped set the stage. So, Barbara and Michael had actually flown into Florida under false names. I mean, it was the 80s. Wow. And the, Harry had gotten them a motel, so that wouldn't come back to them either. Harry had dug the hole for the body. He bought a taser for Barbara to disarm David. And they, like, set up this whole plan that... Barbara was going to call David and ask him to come to the hotel because they knew that David still loved Barbara. And she was going to tell him that she wanted to talk about getting their family back together. So David bought a six-pack and he went to the hotel perfectly as planned. And Barbara was supposed to tase him, but it didn't work. So Michael just came out and started fighting And eventually, he shot David. Harry is, like, waiting nearby, and hears the gunshots, and he goes up and sees that David is still breathing and tells Michael to shoot him again. And so, Michael does, and he shoots him in the head. Oh, my God. They wrap David in a blanket and put him in Harry's truck, and they take the body to an area in Miramar that Harry was really familiar with. And they bury him in the backyard. That is so, like, it really breaks my heart. Like, she's so heartless, the fact that I couldn't even imagine opening the door and seeing him walking in with a six-pack. Like, he's all Thinking happy. Thinking he's going to get your family back together. And that's what you do. Like, that is truly just cold and heartless. I couldn't even imagine doing that to someone. Even if you hate that person, that's still the father of your children. And listen to how conniving this is. And after it happened... Harry held on to David's car for weeks before finally leaving it at the airport. Like, that's how mastermind manipulative they were. And afterwards, Michael and Barbara went back to Arizona like normal. And so this was November 2007 when Michael said all this. And they started looking into Barbara and seeing basically what she had done like, looking more closely into her. Mm-hmm. And they talked to David's old attorney, who had been David's attorney during the divorce stuff, and he had said that 
it was clear that David was very afraid of Harry and that David was in danger. And the attorney felt that, like, Harry was truly evil. Oh, my God. And David's brother also said something similar, that David was always scared of Harry. Ew. Harry's... What the fuck? How did he die? I'm not sure, to be honest. But... In retrospect, it's pretty obvious to Michael now that Harry and his daughter, Barbara, had plotted this for a long time and had looked for a man for Barbara to manipulate who would easily fall in love with her, who that she could convince to kill her husband. Because they said that after it happened and they moved back to Arizona and those five months went by and Michael adopted Barbara's son right after that like a short time after the adoption stuff happened Barbara just moved out with John and left Michael never to return wow that is truly some lifetime movie drama plot level yep And two months after Michael's confession, Barbara is indicted by a grand jury, and she pleads guilty to accessory after the fact, and she has to admit in court that she's the one who called David and basically lured him to his death. However, she's only sentenced to two years house arrest and eight years probation. So, yeah, she's basically out and a free woman, and a lot of people are pissed about that, but... I mean, it's still just this, so I'm glad she at least got some time and that people know the full story. I mean, yeah, I am glad about that. It's just, like, I still feel that there are so many cases where people will get almost 25 to life for that. I am happy that there's justice, but at the same time, for his family, that's really frustrating that... Like, she also should have gotten more time, I feel like, for the fact that she knew it and could have came forward and never did, so... I know, that's really messed up. Meanwhile, Michael gets life in prison. Yeah, like, they I mean, were all there. shot him. And didn't she help? Like, couldn't they give other charges for helping with m- removing the body it's, and I stuff? I guess just accessory. Tampering with evidence. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they really, really could, but... Who knows why they didn't, but regardless, they did bring justice to the case, and John still does have a relationship with his mom, Barbara, but I really couldn't imagine how traumatic that would be, finding out that your mom's, like, your grandparents lied to you. Your grandparents, your grandparents with your mom killed your And your stepdad who adopted you. Wow. I just, like, had to let that sink in for a minute. I couldn't even imagine. Like, that is so sad. I really hope that he's healing after everything, like... I know, and it's really tragic, but I am really glad that Junie got answers because I couldn't imagine always just wondering and not knowing. Yeah. I mean, the answers are horrible, so I don't know if that really helps, but... Yeah, I It seems hope. that David was obviously a great man, a great father, a really hardworking and loving person who fought for his son 
and fought really hard in court to get that custody time. So it's really, really sad that he was taken at such a young age and when he was going to be a great dad. And it's really so sad. All of this for what? For what? Just for you to have You already divorced him. Like, literally, for what? These are the things I never understand because the people always get caught and then your child is left without any parents, no matter what age they are. Like, that's the thing that irritates me. I mean, I guess she's out free. It's so selfish. Yeah, and she's out free, but at the same time, it's never going to be the same, their relationship. And you took that from your child. Like, I don't get it. I just don't. I really, really don't when it comes to kids being involved. It's so selfish to me how you could do that. Yeah, Take their parent from them. Yeah, and to know that, like, your grandparents, your entire family, that's just, like so sad and not to mention i mean michael's a grown adult like he can make his own decisions clearly but it was also clear that he was manipulated and then barbara didn't even stay with him but hey you know what maybe that's karma if you end up killing somebody yeah it's just crazy because their proposal i mean come on their proposal was bs like I don't. I love so. I love a lot of people, but I'm not gonna kill someone just because they ask me to. Yeah, I agree. Come on, now you have to know that that relationship is toxic. And you're a police you officer. Like he was a police officer. He knows. I forgot that he was a police officer. Not when it happened. I think he might have already retired, but former. So he knew like how all this works. It's just like crazy that her and her dad weren't on it together too, right? the hell horrible oh my gosh well that was truly some drama it is crazy thinking what would have happened if those men never threw the watermelon around i know or what would have what faith that john david's son like that's why i feel like david him like his like spirit led this case or something like they walked in and saw the poster there's just too many coincidences yeah that his even though it was a couple years that the bones were found before Donna reopened the case, it's still crazy. Yeah. Because I don't think they would have been able to solve it without the bones. It is like fate. Right. It is fate. Man. Wow. Well, that was a good episode, Jackie. Good job. Thank you. I hope you guys all liked this. Obviously, if you did, come follow us on Instagram. And give this a good rating. We hope you guys are having a good fall, a good spooky season. Tell us what you're up to. Yeah, let us know if there's any cases, any themes you want us to do specifically for fall, for October, anything spooky, paranormal. Just let us know. For sure. As always, stay safe. And we will see you guys next time for another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.